Every day, traders and investors dive in to tackle the ever-changing markets to find opportunity. Futures Radio Show is your number one source for answers to the questions that all market participants want to ask. Veteran futures trader Anthony Crudelli sits down with the most influential leaders and top traders in the industry. Now, here's your host, Anthony Crudelli. What's up, everybody? Anthony Crudelli here, and thank you for tuning in for this episode with Merritt Black. Futures Radio Show is sponsored by CME Group. They are the world's leading and most diverse futures and options exchange. CME Group's markets help individuals and businesses around the world effectively manage risk. For access to free educational tools and resources for the active individual trader, please visit activetrader.cmegroup.com. Remember, new shows are posted on Mondays and Thursdays. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. If you're enjoying the show, please leave a review on iTunes. This show is also sponsored by Trading Technologies, FTSE Russell, and RJO Futures. To learn about some great offers that these sponsors have for our listeners, please visit futuresradioshow.com slash sponsors. Today, I spoke with the head of futures at SMB Capital, Merritt Black. I was actually just with Merritt the other day down here in Florida at the Traders Invitational that I hosted. Two days of golf, dinner, and just all out fun. An awesome event, and thank you to everybody that came out. Now, if you are interested in joining us for our next meetup or want to attend next year's Invitational, make sure you are on my email list on futuresradioshow.com. Now, back to having Merritt on the show today, we had a great conversation about evolving as a trader. We discussed his process for trading multiple futures markets. We talked about something that Merritt calls NADRO, narrative, acceptance, developing value, rhythm, and order flow. What his mindset is after a big drawdown, his process for trading bigger, and last but not least, how hobbies have helped him become a better trader. So without further ado, let me take you right to the interview with Merritt. Merritt, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, great seeing you the other day at the Traders Invitational. Thank you so much for coming out. Thanks for putting it on, man. We had a blast. You, you, uh, I think it says a lot about you, the, uh, the caliber of the, the folks that you put together. And just uh, to be honest, it blew me away just how amazing everybody was. We had a great time. I, I really did too. I'm, I'm so thankful that everybody came out to the event. We had so much fun. And you, you got me by one point, man. You came in second. I, yeah, came I hate in third. to beat you on your own course, man. I really hated that had to happen. <laughs> but, uh, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> and you and I thought we were tied going into the last hole. We tied the last hole. And then we go in and then we realized that we were, I was off in the score by one stroke or by, yeah, by one point because we played a, a Stableford. And you actually and had nothing. What he's me. not telling you guys is that we were tied after 17. At least we thought we were. Yep. And we both put up snowmen on 18. I mean, it was just <laughs> terrible. Was terrible. Terrible. I just couldn't read the wind. And you got yeah, caught a little bit the on the left. I'm hacking and, out of bushes. And I, and I blew the green by, and I was stuck in a bush, had to take it on playable. And we're just like, I mean, you and I were like, well, how, could this, how could this be the way we ended it? But nonetheless, it was a great time. And, and we came to the dinner that night and we had a great conversation and um you know with with everybody there and since it's been a little while since you've been on the show actually you were on the show in August of 18 because I went and looked and seen when you were on last and you know last time we chatted you focused primarily on crude oil 
So I want to just kick off today by you know asking you: Has that changed? Is crude oil still uh, your only market? Is it is it your primary market? Yeah, it's it's uh it's funny um, how things evolve over time, and I think that's important as a trader uh, to evolve because look, markets are not some linear static thing, right? So it's it requires that over time, I think, to stay at your best. And so for me, I. I definitely have evolved. Uh, crude is, I would call it my first love, my uh, my little baby. But um, I actually monitor multiple markets now, about a dozen. And I often trade crude. But one thing that happened to me, I guess, to tell a little story about how this came to be. Um, last summer, I had a... a a pretty big drawdown. It was it was a real rough patch, and um, obviously you start looking at what's going wrong. You know what what are things that you can improve? What are the things that you're still doing well that you can lean on harder? Um, and I Bella and I were over in London. We were doing a little speaking event over there and meeting with a bunch of different traders and seeing some desks and just seeing what's working for people and and you know it's just a great thing to do. So that's not something that only head of desks can go around to do everybody you guys listening at home you can do that as well um you know use your peers find out what's working it's it's really good so anyways i started seeing more and more guys who were having success really looking across a lot of different markets and it's not like they're trading 10 markets a day uh although some people do but it got me thinking about how i was just kind of trying to force maybe in crude a bit where let's say it's a dull trading day, not a whole lot going on, but there might be better opportunities elsewhere. And I'm not talking about just pure volatility and I'm not talking about just pure, Oh look, something's moving. Like there's, you know, news, let's go trade it. Like, you know, hit the bids like immediately. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about taking a look across a dozen markets before the markets open and still using my same top-down approach, my methodology, my processes, determining where there's some really good kind of what I call contextual risk-reward, where that higher time frame is telling me there's a fresh condition change, as we call it. Um, there's you know a market that's having a fresh breakout out of, let's say, a five-day range or something. That's a market that's going to have a little more energy and something you know might be going on there. And you're going to have a really good, like you and I were talking about this past weekend, you're going to have a really good place to know where that idea is wrong. And if you don't have that, you don't have a good trade. So rather than kind of nickel and diming crude and trying to grind out something every day, while I would still say it's my predominant market, each morning I'm coming in and I'm looking at where I can find the best risk-reward opportunities – and then, if you guys go back and I think listen to the what I said on the last podcast a couple of years ago, crude was a strength for me, or it, it was aligned with my strengths because it was a market that made sense to me, and it was focusing on one market worked for my strengths because I'm kind of anti-ADD. I lock in and I focus, and I'm not a great multitasker. So for me, the way I'm trading now, I know this is getting long-winded, Looking at several different markets and then looking at where I want to essentially specialize for the day 
is kind of the best of both worlds for me right now. Who knows where I'll be a year from now? You know, we, we can see where I was a year ago. Um, but that's kind of where I'm at and how I'm evolving uh, right now as a trader. Okay. A few things I want to talk about with this. First off is, can you list the markets that you are trading now? I will try. I don't have them pulled up right now, but um, crude, S&P, NASDAQ, gold, the euro, uh, the boond, the DAX, um, the 10-year soybeans. So that's about 10. So that, that that's roughly kind of the, the, the main list there. Okay. So you have that list of, let's just call it 10. Mm-hmm. Talk to us about how your day begins for you to decide okay. – which markets you're going to trade that day and actually how many markets you will then trade on any given day. Okay. I'll take the second question first. So it's very rare for me to trade more than two of those markets in a single day. Um, and so my day begins when I, you know, I, I could talk all kinds of stuff about how my day begins, but I'll focus on the trading and the markets. Um, <clears throat> I load up a chart book. I use Sierra chart, so it's a chart book for each market. So I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, at least nine charts that I need to look at for one single market to do what I do. I think that sometimes that shocks people that I would use that many charts um, for, for a single market. But anyways, so I have each market with each of those you know nine charts or so up. And I will just go through them and I will pretty methodically go through this top-down approach. So my approach, I call it the NADRO methodology, N-A-D-R-O. And um, it's an acronym. And it, it's, it's very much a hierarchy of importance too. The N is for narrative. The A is for acceptance. D is for developing value. R is for rhythm. And O is for order flow. So the main thing I'm doing when I come in in the morning and I start going through each of these markets is I'm focusing on that in, that narrative. And I'm not talking about a narrative that you often hear from like a fundamental perspective. What's the narrative in this market? You know, that type of thing. I see markets as an auction process and I see markets every single day. I can't always identify a clear narrative, and that's one thing that, that students and traders on the desk I try and really help with because people think that they should always be able to come up with a clear narrative in a market. And the fact that you can't come up with a clear narrative in a market is just as good of news for you and is meaningful of news, maybe not as good, but meaningful of news as when you can because that means there's not a bunch of edge there. There's not something for you to really lean on and for you to attach to. So when I talk about narrative, I'm talking about seeing a story that's unfolding in a market where there's been a, what we call a key recent rejection from a, a place where the context of that market would change, let's say, between two states, between a trending market to a range-bound market. And if you've got a fresh conditional shift there and you're near that line in the sand, as we call it, and – the market's showing you based on what we kind of have a view of what as long as this condition shift can hold and who knows if it will or not, right? That's not our job as traders, but I identify what is occurring 
and I can have some expectations for if what is occurring continues, here's where the market could easily end up. And so we call those likely destinations. So you see I'm painting this picture of where we've been, where some key shifts in like where price is rejected from or accepted into structurally and where it could end up. And so that paints a risk-reward landscape. That shows me where the idea is wrong and if it continues to hold, where we could go. So I'm looking at, at each one of the markets and I'm trying to decipher and speak the language of, of markets and determine what that narrative is. And from there, I think it's pretty obvious, I narrow it down into here's where I have the most clear identification of a good narrative, fresh thing that's unfolding in a market. And that's where my focus will be as, as the, the opening bells uh, start to ring. Do you change your technical strategy for each individual market, or is it the same exact technical strategy for each market? It's the same exact top-down approach. It's you know figuring out what the market's up to and, and higher time frame and risk reward and that type of stuff. It's really the tactics on the lower time frame. Now you want to go trade it. Now you want to go access it. How are you going to approach it? And very very importantly, the order flow. Order flow across markets is is extremely different, and you can't just. For example, I think most people know I, I'm very heavy on cumulative delta um, and the way delta would behave in, in various markets, S&P to crude to gold to the euro is ex- extremely different. And so you can't just use those order flow tools the same way. And that's part of you know, why I was for so long almost exclusively focused on crude oil is because I felt it was – and I still do. I don't, I don't think that anything about my path was ever – well, I've done a lot wrong. <laughs> Don't let me say I haven't done stuff wrong. But my path of specializing in crude was not wrong, even though I'm not doing that right now. Um, I think to to for me to go trade any of these markets, whether it's crude or the boond, um, having that more intimate understanding of its order flow characteristics and the way it moves on a short-term basis where I end up operating in is extremely important. And so that that's the main differences. But the, the, the top-down approach, deciphering the narrative, seeing where the risk-reward landscape is and, and whether there's good opportunity or not, uh, that is pre- exactly the same. Hey, everybody. A quick pause here to talk about FTSE Russell. They are a leading global provider of benchmarks, analytics, and data solutions. The Russell 2000 Index is a key benchmark for small-cap U.S. stocks. Be sure to check out the E-mini Russell 2000 Index Futures Contract, symbol R-T-Y. For more information on FTSE Russell and their products, please visit FTSERussell.com. I would say for me, the most difficult thing when I've tried to go and trade other markets was developing that relationship with those markets. Mm-hmm. I specifically trade support and resistance levels, and I look at the reaction at those levels. And even though I trade the S and P, I find it very difficult to trade the Nasdaq. You know, I feel like they're just so <laughs> different. Uh, Quippy, you know, thin. Yeah, yeah you've got to you've got to you you've got to end up using that thinness of that market and the way it blows through levels and wicks them. 
you got to end up using that from something that like shakes you. And I know you know all this, but I'm just kind of giving some general advice for listeners. You got to use that to your advantage. Now you've got to wait for that liquidity blowout and, and capitulation and, and wiki clear yeah. through and then start to, uh, you know, versus the S&P or bonds. My goodness, you know, you're working those orders as close as you can to those levels and they should hold pretty good for you. Yeah, people always ask me, why do I choose to trade the S&P in 10 year? And the reason I like those markets over other markets and why they to this day remain my primary markets is because price matters the most to me mm. in those markets. When I see mm -hmm. it hold a price and come off of a price, that reaction to me means something. Versus in the NASDAQ. Not or, in the NASDAQ. <laughs> you know, or maybe, you know, there, in, in several other markets, I'll look at it and that same style that I have gotten accustomed to trading, when I go to these other markets, I've really struggled. I mean, gold has never been my friend. <laughs> gold has been a very difficult market for me because I'll see a reaction that I've seen very similar in the S&P and I see that in gold and I'm like, wow, this is a great place. And all of a sudden I'm like, wow, it's just, it, you know, it's the exact opposite of what I thought would happen based upon that reaction happened. So I guess what I want to ask you is how have you been able to develop relationships like what has been your process aside from the strategy right i mean you said you kept the strategy pretty much the same but developing that relationship which with each of these new markets that you're adding that's a, that's a fantastic question you should start a podcast or something <laughs> um <laughs> it, it's there's a twofold thing on one hand there there is no free lunch and there's just simply no shortcut to, for example, the, the I guess, decade now of, of relationship building that I've done with crude oil. There's no shortcut to me going and earning that in gold now, right? So on one hand, there is a trade-off to the, to the style box, you know, style drift that, that I've had as a trader. There's a trade-off to that, and that is I'll be participating – in soybeans and that's that's not going to be a market that I would say I have that intimate relationship with like I do with crude. And so on one hand, it's simply not going to be there to the level that it was and that's going to reduce performance if you will by a certain amount, but remember the reason for the overall shift was to buoy performance, to boost performance by being in better markets with better opportunities. So I always say most decisions you make in trading are trade-offs, right? Like you can make a decision to get bigger risk-reward in your, your trading and in, in what you, your trading business, what you're doing. You can make a, a decision and you can make that happen. I, don't, I think some people don't realize that they can do that, but you can make it happen. What's going to be the trade-off, though? What's going to be the equal but opposite effect? You're probably going to lower your win percent if you make an adjustment to your trading that boosts risk-reward. So anyways, going down a little rabbit hole there. But So that's, that's the, the one side of things. On the other side, the more, I guess, productive conversation is I've done – it's almost like I was a new trader again. And so I'm doing the things that I recommend that other traders do which is put in the work outside of clicking the buttons of buying and selling. And so for me, that's doing a whole lot of scrolling through historical data and just visually backtesting, if you will, 
Cause that's, that's how I, I mean, I used to print out charts, you know, um, I'm not old, old, but I'm getting old. So, um, I used to print out charts and go through, I'd, I'd use another piece of paper and I'd cover them and only show one bar at a time. And so that's how I'm used to getting to know a market. And so obviously I do that visually. And then, you know, the, one of the most fantastic tools for new traders and obviously the conversation we're having here, veteran traders alike is market replay. So, you know, I'm, I'm going back and I will get more reps, right? I'm trying to catch up on those 10 years that I've got in crude oil. I'm trying to get more reps. And the cool thing about technology and all this stuff at our fingertips is you can get those reps. So I'll do a lot of market replay and go back and see how markets move and how they react and to various setups that I might have and, and just do the hard work of getting, getting that understanding, man. Yeah. I love that answer. Uh, how has your overall performance changed since you've added all of these markets? It has reduced amplitude of drawdowns so far, right? I mean, it's, it's not even been a, a full year of kind of this evolution. Um, but I think I would get stuck in some, some areas where crude, you know, got a little dull or just wasn't conducive to my particular strategy. And, um, there would be some drawdown. So it's, it's almost like I've added a portfolio, if you will, which brings a bit of diversification. So that's kind of how I feel about it. I guess the sense I'm getting is is that it's it's keeping you out of bad trades. It's keeping you out of days to where you looked at, let's just go back to crude oil, where you looked at it and said, really nothing setting up here of my liking, but... Maybe I'll scalp 10 cents here and exactly. you know, go for that in the middle of yesterday's range and value it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you working with a prop, how did the, the firm look at you from being a, a successful trader trading one market to then embracing you and supporting mm -hmm. you to be going and trading all of these different markets? Well, they it was easy for them to embrace it because it's actually more along the lines of the general SMB culture and the way they approach things as an equities, you know, primarily equities desk. What do they do? They trade stocks in play, right? They go look for what's moving. And yes, they'll trade more names per day than I am. So I'm not doing that. That really didn't work for me trying to, tr you know, run around and chase news catalysts and, oh my gosh, this is breaking news here. Let's go look at it. Let's go trade it. Oh, it's a ticker. I don't even know what the company's name is. You know, um, so for, it's an easy shift. It, in fact, Bella has, you know, at various times encouraged me, um, to, to look into it. And so it, it was, it, it's easy. It was easy support. I want to go back to the conversation that you and I had when we were riding in the cart at the trader's invitational. And we were both talking about how, you know, both of us have changed over the years. Uh, I have become a trader who's trading less frequently now. Mm -hmm. I feel that that suits me better. And you're someone who said, you know what, Anthony, I've gone the exact opposite way. I'm actually trading more frequently. Um, I'm becoming more and more uh, of a scalper. Talk to us about that. Th that, was a, that was mostly around the current conditions, right? So... 
if you're listening to this recording five years ago, you may not know, but we are going through a ridiculously, you know, 2000, 2008 type of period right now. It's, uh, you know, March of 2020 and things are pretty wild. So for me, over the past several weeks, adjustment that I have made has been being shorter term because the rotations are so fast and so furious that the opportunities are, are just simply there for those moves. Um, if you're going to try and, you know, swing trade this environment, you know, there, there's a lot of back and forth. Things aren't just moving in straight lines. Uh, so it, there's just so, I feel like the opportunity cost of sitting in a position while, Hey, you might be able to buy the, the, you know, the low of S and P and hold it for another, you know, six months here and just make a career out of that trade that, that, you know, maybe you could do that. But for me, the opportunity cost of sitting in a position because there's so much intraday rotations. And I'm not just talking about your normal choppy S and P rotations. I'm talking about clean moves, tradable moves, uh, where you can get three, four, five R on, on just scalp rotations. I'm not talking about one-to-one scalps here, right? It's just shorter term than I'm typically used to. I've always considered myself more of a intraday position trader where I like to, again, based on that deep understanding I have of markets and the, the narrative that I can identify that they're up to, I know where the best trade locations are. Doesn't mean I always profit from it. Doesn't mean I don't get chopped up or stopped out or far from it. That stuff happens to everybody. But it does mean I have a really good read on, on at, at times, what markets are up to. And I know where, quite frankly, the high of day or low of day is, is a, um, a decent probability of, of being put in. So I get in at really good trade locations, and I want to maximize that, and I want to hold those trades as long as all the intraday tools I'm using are telling me that, you know, keep holding. It's, this is supportive for my process. Currently, with the wild swings and rotations, there's just so much opportunity there that I'm not really approaching the day-to-day as where can I get in from a really good extreme for the session and then hold it maybe until the close or hold it until a very, very, you know, long trend, you know, develops or a full mean reversion across a a, a balance area uh, develops. There's five or six or seven or eight or ten more opportunities between point A and point B there. So I'm looking to to capitalize on them. Oh, I completely agree with you on that because even for myself, who's someone who spent 15 years out of my 21 career being a scalper, when you get into these types of markets, uh, you, you know, I, I I revert back to being more active because really price is getting me out. You know, I mean, you're you're getting mm-hmm. these. Uh, moves that are so big and so fast that uh, I don't care what your time frame is. Uh, if you're getting near your targets, you're <laughs> you're, you're getting out uh, because uh, price and, and the action is telling you to. But in general, uh, I'm curious for you as a trader. Over time, have you let's let's take out this this cycle right now that we're seeing in the markets. Do you feel that you have been increasing the amount of trades that you're taking per day or decreasing? The better I get at trading, the less I trade and the longer I hold for me. Yep. 
Um, but that that's because my my personal weaknesses and and why I lost money for so long and thought I made the turn and came back and didn't and sucked it up. Um, there's a lot of reasons, but if you look at a day where I really just performed horribly, it's typically an, an, an over trading session. It's typically a day with way too many executions. Um, not fully accepting the risk of what might've been a good idea and I just I chop myself up, even though my original stop never would have been hit. Too active, too thinking. I always know what's going to happen next in the next few bars, and making too many decisions there. So for me, over time, and that includes up until you know the past couple of weeks, it is more of a gravitation towards that doing a good job of being an intraday position trader, waiting for more ideal opportunities. And um, not messing it up once you get in those as often. <laughs> yeah, same here. And we used to call that on the floor a personal fast market. You just watch a guy trading himself in in, in a circle, and you're just yeah. sitting there going, <laughs> like, take it easy, man. Like, where are you going? You know, he's buying the offer, selling the bid, thinking that these moves are going to be happening. And and I don't know about you, but for me. In slow markets is when that will tend to happen to me. All of a sudden, I get oh, in this over trading. My worst days are days where you, you might as well have played golf rather than trading. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and we were actually talking about this at the dinner table on how when the markets are, are really busy, uh, we're all just so much more focused. And I make less mistakes as a trader when it's busy. I'm trained to just turn and burn out of things, you know, when things aren't going my way, it's like I recognize it and I'm quick to react. When things are slower in slower markets are when I find myself, you know, doing the old bad habits. And for me, the main bad habit is is exactly what you're saying. And when it is that slower market, ultimately I think what happens to me and what happens to a lot of people is you end up forcing some expectations on the market. Yes rather than sitting back and allowing it to come to you because most traders, it doesn't matter if you're really mean reversion or if you're really, you know, more momentum, you know, based or in, in one sense or another, I think we're all momentum traders, right? Whether or not you're fading a move, well, now you're looking for momentum the other way. You know what I mean? Like we need price to move. So when price is continually, um, not giving that and we continue to, demand that it does uh, is, is typically the problem. Hey, everybody. I want to take a quick pause and talk about RJO Futures. They are a longstanding brokerage firm with personal broker relationships to learn, discuss, and trade the futures markets. To learn more about RJO Futures, please visit rjofutures.com. I want to go back to something that you mentioned. You said that when you've added all of these markets that you are now trading, that you've limited the the drawdowns. Mm-hmm. Because we've been recently chatting, I know that last summer you had a big drawdown. Talk mm-hmm. to us about your approach after you have a big drawdown. What is your... What is your mindset like in recovering from a big drawdown? Oof, great question, man. This, I mean, this is, I guess, what's 
what's more important that we could talk about today, kind of, right? Um, because this is ultimately what separates, you know, the uh, the boys from the men, so to speak, in, in uh, I guess, to use a sexist uh, trading term. Um, the, the first thing that, that I've learned to do, which is totally counterintuitive for me against my nature, is to stop trying so damn hard. Okay, so typically, well, 100% of the time, if I'm not seeing things well and I'm st- I'm slipping into a drawdown and, you know, something – look, we're, most traders are in a drawdown most of the time, right? You know, your last trade was a loss. You're in a drawdown, you know. So what I'm talking about is something that's a little bit removed from your normal variance of P&L and you're actually getting into a real drawdown. I used to try harder, right? Um, I used to – Essentially, what drove me was the recency bias of the recent losses. And hey, look, I, you know, I'm a, quite frankly, I'm more of a blue collar guy. I'm from Alabama, grew up on a dirt road, and I'm going to outwork you, right? I'm going to come in and I'm going to try hard and I'm going to never say die. And, um, I have extremely high, you know, almost like cocky kind of self confidence. So that's another bad thing for, for trading. And um, obviously that's not a good recipe. So, so step one for me is to have painfully learned to st- don't try harder, don't press more to fix the situation. It is what it is. Now's the time to actually take the foot off the accelerator rather than push it, pedal to the metal and, and, and try and r- improve. So that was a, a long, hard lesson that I had to learn. And secondly, is along the, the same vein there, is getting back to the basics. And I think this is true in sports. Um, it's certainly a lesson that, that I took from, from you know, being a competitive you know, tennis player growing up. Um, when, when you're not playing well, when it seems like nothing's going your way, um, it's time to get back to the basics. It's time to stop thinking about the advanced strategy and perhaps various tactics that you're trying to or had planned to deploy in that match. And it's time to get back to watching the way the ball, I kid you not, watch the way it spins as it bounces off the ground, as it's coming to you. Focus on the way it's rotating to make your shot focus on having a good, you know, in tennis, you take the racket back and then you swing through focus on having a good takeaway focus on having great footwork focus on a nice follow through finish on your shots focus on a safe cross court forehand with nice net clearance and trying to get some good depth on your shots. You know, go back to the fundamentals, the basics of good tennis Rather than again trying harder and focusing on more, well, let me hit it harder. Let me hit more winners. You know, let me try and win this thing because uh, you know it's not working. So in trading, what what do those things look like, right? What are what are the basics? Really making sure that you have a good narrative present that the trade that you're thinking about getting into, 
is backed up by some hypos or if-then scenarios or whatever you call it that you're prepared to go execute on that day. Make sure that you're not being impulsive when you are making a trade decision, whether that's entry, whether that's moving a stop, whether that's taking some off, whether that's adding. Make sure that you're getting back to being very checklist-driven, very process-driven in your approach. And I think trading less becomes a part of that. So you're you're amping up your selectivity, right? I think there's a normal ebb and flow with a lot of traders with you're doing well. You feel like you can trade more and do more. You, 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 you trade worse. Now's the time to get a bit more selective. I'm not talking about being afraid to get in because you're afraid of losing anymore. But I'm talking about making sure that if you're putting risk on, it's well worth that risk. It's A-plus type opportunities. So slowing down, backing off, uh, getting back to the basics, the fundamentals of good trading for my process, not trying to you know, get cute here and there, which I allow myself to do at times when I'm trading well. Um, so, I mean, that's the most important things, I think. Um, from there, reducing size, right? Um, and as it was for me, one of, one of the, I guess, step four might be going back to the demo for a second. If you're so, and you've got to know yourself here and having access to guys like Dr. Steenbarger and, and, and coaches and having a risk manager and stuff helps. It's very difficult to do this on your own, but knowing when it's time to say, you know what, just let me go to the demo. Let me just start to build some form of psychological capital. And one thing, and I don't like, I like, I'm a very process driven guy. I like to talk about as much as I can be objective and, and black and white tangible stuff. But let me give you one more, a little more subjective type thing here. And, and just from a, um, a mentality perspective, <clears throat> this sounds crazy and this sounds contradictory to a lot of stuff that you'll hear me say. But I, I think there's something to this. And I've had, in fact, I remember um, a year ago, one of our very best traders, just phenomenal trader uh, at SMB, a guy we call Shark. And we were at a happy hour having some Lagunitas, and we were talking about drawdowns. In fact, this was during my drawdown. And one of the things that we ended up talking about and kind of sharing and, and, and kind of exploring was this mentality around, I'm, I don't care if I make any money today. This sounds crazy. It's against everything I say, guys. I'm so sorry. But I'm not going to lose money today. I'm not going to lose any money today. And that's like this, I'm, I'm just going to be Barely green, if anything. And I, I hate myself for even saying this, but there's some kind of subconscious mental shift that happens when you dig in and you just take that mental approach a bit. Um, and I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. Hearing all so those there's four, things, four things. <laughs> hearing all of those things is so similar to what I've learned in. My career as a trader, what I've learned from other traders from being on the floor. And I remember a trader telling me this, a veteran trader back in the day. And when I was making money, he told me, Anthony, when you're making money, you should just keep trading 
and you should be saving money. And when you're losing money, then you could take time off and spend some money. And of course, I didn't do that right away. And when I was making money, I was spending as much as I could, of course, because it was new to me to making that kind of money. So of course, I'm just out there thinking that it's not going to end. And then when times got bad, I put myself in a bad position to where I couldn't take time off and I I couldn't think uh, the right approach to dealing with the drawdown because now I needed to make money because I overspent during the times when I was making money. Mm. And that was probably the biggest lesson for me in here. And everything that you just talked about is it's so important to be able to think that way. One of the things you said was take the foot off the accelerator, but you can't do that if you're making money and you're spending it. And then when you go to lose, all of a sudden, the only thing you feel you have to do, well, there's two things that happen to me is one is work ethic. You want to keep going. You want to keep making money. And you said you're blue collar. So am I. So to us, we feel like we have to produce every day. And that's a challenging thing to go against. But secondly, when all of a sudden you have to make money, even though you're coming off of making money, now psychologically, you're, you're, you're in a bad place. Oh yeah. Big time. It's, it's funny, isn't it? There's, um, You know, trading is one of the only things around where it's this truly kind of limitless environment. We all create the way we approach it and the way we see it and the way we structure it. And it's just that's why it's so phenomenal. That's why, you know, it's so amazing to getting getting together with other traders like we did this past weekend and and, you know, all that good stuff because of the just the the sheer limitlessness of of the way we can approach this this game. Yeah, but at the same time, along the lines of what we're talking about now, there are these like certain universal truths, aren't there? And we, and and we tip if you typically violate those, it's it's it doesn't matter how you approach markets; it's typically going to be end poorly for you. One thing I've I'm curious about with you being at a prop at SMB. A question I always get is, Anthony, what was your process to trading bigger? What is your process for trading bigger? My natural process to trading bigger is to max out any buying power or clip size limits that that I have. I want to go all the way, the first trade, as soon as I have it at my fingertips. That's that's my natural inclination. I am risk seeking. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> so, um, not a great recipe for longevity in a trading career. Uh, although I would argue, um, I think more traders that end up doing quite well have that because you. Rather than the someone who's really risk averse, I think the more natural profile to if you can find a way through the risk and through blowing yourself up to get to a safe space where you can find strike this balance between being ready to put the pedal down when it's called for versus not putting the pedal down and blowing out your account on a eight range S&P day, <laughs> you know, like it's nothing's happening and you're just like, ah, you're just going full size. Just give me, give me, give me, give me. So, um, 
that's my that's where I'm just to set the stage there. That's where I came from as a and, and am as a, a natural kind of state uh, in terms of getting bigger. What has been so good at SMB and things I've learned from Bella and been forced to do by Bella um, have been to be very methodical, almost systematic about risk and getting size bumps. And to be honest, I don't know if I ever would have made it alone um, if I could just take whatever risk I wanted to during any session part of the day, no matter what my emotional or mental state was. Um, I need boundaries and I need someone who has more authority than me to enforce them, to be honest. Um, I no longer have a problem with risk for the most part. Um, and so maybe at this point I would, I, I would be okay. And yeah, you know, I think there's a high degree, high likelihood I would be okay. I would still want to do certain things to protect myself, like only keep a certain amount of money in the trading account and things like that, just so there's like an automatic safeguard in there. But it, anything you can do, if you if you're coming from the same line as me, um, anything you can do, whether it's call up your broker and see if they can set a auto liquidation, you know, daily loss limit for you or some kind of max drawdown. Most of them can do it these days. Um, only keeping a certain amount in the in the account. Setting your own clip sizes, call in and say, look, you know, don't let me trade more than a three lot, right? Um, they can, the technology these days can really help you. Um, you can, even if you're at home on, on your own, you can set a lot of really nice, safe, you know, guardrails for yourself in terms of trading. So I, I've never had a problem getting bigger. I've always wanted to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, does that answer the question good enough? Any, anything other I can address? Yeah, I think, well, there's one thing that I take from this, is that, and I think it's great advice for everybody out there listening, is that, look, at if you're someone who's like Meredith and I, you and I are very similar in this, we don't have a problem trying to trade bigger. Um, what, I, what I did in my career was just, I continue to test myself. So uh, when I was making money and I was up on a day, I'd push the, the envelope a little bit in an area that I liked, and I would put on a bigger position than I normally would. Um, so I never had a problem doing that. And, and I did that to be able to feel what it felt like to have a bigger position on to see if I could handle it. And slowly but surely, I inched my way up. But the one thing that you said that I think is a, is a major takeaway for everybody out there that's got the same issue as you and I and that it's not, not – we don't struggle in getting bigger is call my, – like my risk manager has been – Actually, is a very good friend of mine. Um, he's retired now, but the one who was my risk manager for many, many years, I would tell him, put these limits on me. I'm starting to struggle. Take me down in size, even though I could trade bigger. And then all of a sudden, I'd be doing mm -hmm. well, and then I'd increase them. And I worked mm -hmm. with the back office to keep myself in check because when Absolutely. I would be away from my screen is when I knew the best decisions for me. So I would say, okay, right now, Anthony, you're not trading good. You better tell him. I'd get on the phone and be like, look, just take me down to, to whatever, however many lots I would want to trade in my, in my risk per day and make sure that I would be getting out and he'd be calling me if I was hitting my limit. And at my limit, I couldn't add to my position, but it also didn't force me to get out. 
Yeah, but he would. A lot of them are that way. Yeah. So he would be calling me and saying, you know what? What are you doing? You told me to call you on this. I'm just letting you know. And and for me, I'm very similar to you in that respect to where I needed somebody to to oversee that. And yeah, you know, look it. Could I do it on my own? Sure. But it sure is great to have somebody going, <laughs> hey, man, what are you doing right now? Right? Yeah. Or when you're doing Absolutely. good and you see those decisions that you can make and you say, you know what? I want to try and be able to trade a little bit bigger. Let's see what it's like. But I think that the biggest problem that, that, that traders have going from being bigger to smaller, at least for me, is you made money that way. And then when you're you're not doing well, you think that you're gonna you're gonna make your money back the same way you did with that bigger size or whatever, but going back to what do you do when you're in a drawdown? Is you need to take a step back, you need to trade smaller, and I do exactly what you guys talked about. I'm gonna play defense today. I'm not walking out of here a loser. I mean, there's many times where you know my risk would be in the thousands of dollars per day, and I'd be I would leave down three hundred bucks because I'd be like, that's it. It's not happening for me. I'm not letting this letting them do this to me today, and I'm yep. saying letting them. It's letting me do it to myself. But that's kind of the attitude I would have. But. Uh, yeah, I, I guess there's one thing I'd like to ask is just a little bit more about getting bigger. Is like, what is being at SMB? What is the process that somebody looks at a trader and, and says, you know what, you should be trading bigger? Like, how does that work to where you get green lighted, let's say, to be able to trade bigger? Yeah, it's uh, it's different for for various um, departments, if you will. Sometimes it's more of a let me show you the data behind this trade that I've been doing small or that I've backtested small or whatever, and let's get the green light to go bigger on it. But for your, your, your more normal standard stuff that, that you know, would affect me, it's on a, anywhere from, from you know, 10 trading sessions to you know, a full month, it's a constant reassessment of, okay, doing well, let's bump you up a little bit. A little bit, and so I, 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 I've never done the thing with you where you just you're having a good day and you, you just you know want to see what it feels like to go bigger and, and that type of stuff. Um, I don't think that would work for me personally. Um, I, I totally get where you're coming from with it because I do think that getting bigger is kind of like working out your biceps, um, which. What an example for me to use with my skinny arms. Uh, anyways, <laughs> but I know the science behind it, right? So, um, you know, you're you're not just gonna blow that bicep up to you know Mark McGuire, forty two inch circumference biceps or whatever they are, right? Um, it's gonna it's a slow tear and and grind, right? And for me, that's the best way to approach building risk and flex. What I, the reason why that analogy came up in my mind is because. When I hear you talk about putting it on to see what it feels like, to me, it's flexing a muscle. You're just kind of flexing that muscle and you're, you're making it stronger by doing so. And so I totally get that. For us, it's pretty systematic around, okay, a couple good weeks, a month, um, you know, good risk-adjusted returns. You know, you could be up and you could have drew down as much as you were up and that's not a really, that's not good risk-adjusted performance. So it risk adjusted performance is most important and if that's looking good let's keep let's keep stepping it up responsibly 
Yeah, no, I I think that's a much better approach than mine. <laughs> I, for me, it was just one of those things I didn't really know. I didn't have that structure around me. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's interesting because coming from where I came from, at the time, there was no limits on our machines because when you're a member of the exchange and I was trading the minis outside the pit, really, I could trade as many as I wanted. Uh, <laughs> it, it's crazy to even think that way. But and the reason it really was like that was because I could be offsetting against bigs. Um, yeah. You know, the, the clearing firms at the time didn't put limits on how much you could trade. I mean, hence, that's why we ended up having a lot of fat fingers back then, because you could just, you know, it was kind of unlimited. And obviously, <laughs> those things changed. The world has changed from that. And But I think that for the people that can put in a lot of uh, money into their account and use margin, they could still trade a lot bigger than they, than they should be. But for me, sure. I, it was just a matter of like, okay, I just, like I said, I'm doing well. Here's an area I like, test yourself. Even if it goes one, two ticks against me, one or two ticks on a much bigger position, uh, the times I was making money, I kept trading and I tried to push it a little bit bigger. And Now, mind you, I was also scalping at the time, and there was just lots of reasons for it. But, but Mayor, thank you very much for that explanation. I think that's a, a much better way to approach it. Uh, a couple things before I let you go today. Um, we've had this massive gap lower in crude oil. We, we've talked about how crude oil is still your baby. It's still your bread and butter. That was a headline-driven move, right? Mm-hmm. We have these uh, headlines that are moving these markets these days. How much, if at all, has it changed the, your approach to trading? How much has the headline changed my approach? Um, yeah, when the, you see I a mean, headline, yeah, when you see a headline in crude like this, uh, when you come in to that, I know that you you, you talked about uh, Nadro, right? And that was N A D R O, right? Memory mm-hmm. surgery. I want to make sure I got Good that memory. right. Yeah. And that is your approach. But when you have a headline like this and you have all this volatility coming into play, how much of that is affecting or impacting your trading decisions? I would say it, it really it, it just increases the frequency of the trading. Um, because there's more rotations, there's more volatility, there's more opportunities. And so really, I, I think, plain and simple, it's just a frequency of trading goes up when you do have such um, event like we've, we've had as of late. So it's just frequency. The headline itself does not matter to you. You're not favoring one side or the other. You're not oh, doing gosh. anything Oh, gosh. I mean, I, I'll go ahead and, and honestly, before everyone here today, let you know that I am an absolute fundamental news idiot. I mean, and I, and I, I guess maybe I should say ignorance. You know, for me, ignorance is bliss. Um, quite frankly, along these lines, you, Anthony, I'm serious, brother. You would not believe the rock that I live under. A lot of times, I don't keep up with news feeds on my phone. I don't log on to CNBC or Reuters or I I don't watch the news in the evenings. Uh, I I don't keep up with it. Now, I'm on Twitter. I will get on Twitter. Quite frequently, I go three or four days without signing on to or looking at Twitter. So during those periods, I'm getting nothing, right? Um, You know, I hear things from my wife, that type stuff. But I kid you not, when the volatility first started hitting, in equities and whatnot. I didn't know why, 
and I did not care. And I was trading it and I knew what, what was going on in terms of price, time and volume. That was clearly telling me things were different. Here's I've seen it before. Here we are. Let's go. And so, you know, we look, we, we were at um, dinner after golf on Saturday. Right. And people informed me about the OPEC deal falling yep. through and, and whatnot and, and Russia and Saudi Arabia and all this stuff. And, you know, my reaction, I was like a giddy schoolgirl, wasn't I? I was like, yes, all right, here we go. And, you know, I was just so excited. Didn't care what the headline was. I cared that it was impactful and I cared that there was going to be volatility because these are times where you, you make your career. These are times where you can really, really do very, very well. And so I, I truly, for the most part, brother, I live under a rock and I, uh, I'm typically unaware of the headlines and what's going on, but I genuinely, I'm a, I guess I'm a technical guy, you know, through and through to my bones. Um, if there is a fantastic catalyst, do you think that relative volume, you know, volume relative to, you know, past 10 days or, you know, whatever you think it's going to be higher than average? Of course it is, right? So something as simple as just tracking relative volume is going to tell me wh when and where there's there's something really important going on. A question I constantly get is, what platform do I use to trade futures? Well, I use TT. They are the world's fastest commercially available futures trading platform. Now they have integrated tools for advanced options trading, cryptocurrencies, and trade surveillance. You could try it now for free at TryTTNow.com. Dot com. Something else that came up at dinner, which I am constantly reminded of, is how traders have hobbies outside of trading, and, and a lot of times extreme hobbies, uh, or at least multiple hobbies. I mean, look at me. I'm a golf fanatic now. You know, I, I, I play gin all the time. I do lots of different things, and I have said many times on this show and on social media that you really do have to be balanced. I think that you need to take time off. You need to do other things that will actually, I believe, help you as a trader. Getting mm -hmm. to know you more and more over the years, you have a lot of hobbies, man. I mean, what is it? Fortnite, oil painting, cycling, all these different things. Why are hobbies so important to you? And how, if at all, do they help you with your trading? Yeah, it's a, it, it, I think some people might like gloss over this question, but I really do think it's very important. Um, if I could start with, I think there was times where I was really working hard on my trading and I have a, a, a kind of an obsessive personality, right? I will lock in on something and I will just go hard, man. I will, I will skip meals. No problem. I will need to pee and I will say, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm studying this right now. Screw that. You know what I mean? I'm serious. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, so Obviously, I've done that with markets, right? That's markets is one of my, you know, the biggest things in my life. And obviously, through the years, I've done that. I lost a lot of girlfriends in in college and whatnot because of markets. Um, and it was at a point where it was actually, I I really believe, unhealthy for me. And so, why 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 is that? That is because. I began to truly, honestly, 100% derive my self-worth 
as a human being from my end of day PL. And trust me, guys, that is no way to live. Life is short. That's no way to live. And your results are going to be harmed. And your self sense of self worth is going to be harmed from that. So, coming back to the main question here um, hobbies, interests outside of tradings, and passions, right? Find those passions outside of markets. Not just, you know, well, you know, maybe I'll take up golf. I don't know. You know, try it. See if you like it, you know. Um, but find some stuff that you truly love. Love is a huge word for me. And I, I think that it's such a big driver. I think you have to love markets else you won't put in the work, again, outside of clicking the buy and sell buttons because you like the flashing lights and the thrill you get. If you don't love markets, you won't put in the proper work and you won't approach it properly. So find things you love outside of trading because it allows for joy and happiness and balance and fulfillment and a, a meditative way, you know, uh, you know, other side, uh, other um, hobbies I have are triathlon, cycling, um, chess, violin, guitar, uh, oil painting, um, uh, hunting, um, long distance target shooting. Uh, you know, you name, I, I I'm seriously into a lot of things, tennis. Um, it allows for this meditative practice. And you know what? Dr. Steenbarger is big on this. See, Dr. Steenbarger recently, and this is in his radical renewal book. Fantastic. It's a free like ebook on it. You could just find it on his blog. Um, he talks about how people think that they, they they want to rest, right? Hard trading day. You want You're tired. You want to rest. You're maybe you you have a job and you're trying to trade and you're tired and you you want that recreation. And people think that you need to sit on the couch. People think you need to put on Netflix because that's resting. That's hey man, I just want to detach for a while, right? I just want to do nothing. And I get that. We all do that. But. What Dr. Steenbarger has helped me realize that I didn't, didn't until recently realize the importance of these hobbies and different things. Doing something active, even with the brain and or physically, is a form of rest. It's a form of rest from the high-intensity mental activity you've been doing trading. And so, again, for me, I mean, when I'm out there cycling – the, the rhythmic qualities on it, you know, I'm going through these beautiful sceneries around, you know, outside of, of, of the city here in Nashville. And it just is, is it's recharging. Is it hard work? Sure. Right. But I, I encourage people to, to really find those passions and things that you love doing outside of markets because of this whole spill here and, and how it can help you. Last question for today. We already did rapid fire the last time you were on, but we didn't have this rapid fire question, so I'm going to ask you today. Uh-oh. <laughs> if you had an elevator pitch me your edge in trading, what would you say? <sighs> My edge comes from the edges. I think value is way more important than price. Price is one-dimensional. 
incorporate price, time, and volume and see markets deeper and learn to speak that language and, and use value. Mayor, where can people find you on Twitter and give us a website to check out? Sure. Twitter is just uh, my name. It's So it's at Merritt Black. That's M-E-R-R-I-T-T-B-L-A-C-K. And uh, check out SMB, Sierra Michael Bravo, smbfutures.com to see uh, what we got going on with our desk and, and how you could be a part of it and learn from us and join us. Highly recommend checking out SMB's site and following Merritt on Twitter. Merritt, you're a great friend. You're a great trader. It was so much fun seeing you this weekend. I'm still pissed you beat me by yeah, a point man. in the Trader's Invitational, <laughs> but hey, don't worry about it. There's always next year. And uh, thank yep. you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. It's uh, it's it's truly my pleasure, man. Lo- always, always love getting to spend some time with you and and, and talk trading. Thank you for listening to Futures Radio Show. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review on iTunes. You can listen to all of our episodes on FuturesRadioShow.com, iTunes, YouTube, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher.